This is Rugger Matrix America. Welcome everybody to the show. This is Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com. We have Bruce McLean and Pat Clifton with us. And we've got a lot of stuff to, to cover and not a lot of time, so maybe dispense with a little bit of the small talk. But we, we do want uh, to recognize that this show comes out after the collegiate finals and the high school finals, which we saw in Utah. And Bruce, you weren't there. You were off coaching some Super League team. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, Pat, you were obviously there because we were there together. And um, first of all, before we get started with our guest, Pat, uh, the the national championships, um, it, 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 was a, it was a good weekend. Uh, perhaps a little bit disappointing in the in the finals uh, of most of the games because the, most of them were blowouts. So I guess you know, if I wanted to say anything about it, um, I would say that that D1A final BYU Arkansas State was a tremendously exciting game. That was the that was the highlight of the day simply because of how exciting that game was. Yeah, it really was. The previous you know all the games before that were blowouts, um, though some of them were pretty exciting to watch. I mean, watch a Cathedral play just. The beauty of the way that they played was actually quite fun to watch, even though it was a blowout. Um, but yeah, that Arkansas State BYU game, um, the atmosphere was really buzzing and it was fantastic. I don't think it really translated to uh, TV because I watched the uh, ESPN New telecast, but uh, uh, being there in that stadium, the atmosphere was fantastic. Yeah, it was, and and also. I think a lot of credit goes to somebody we had on the show relatively recently, Matt Huckabee at Arkansas State, because Arkansas State, we, we didn't really give him much of a chance. I know you you backed them more than anyone, Pat, but uh, he got them in a mental situation where they were not intimidated. They weren't just going to roll over for BYU. And I think, uh, you know, he said he was proud of, of his team, Arkansas State, and, and, and I think Huckabee should be. Uh, Cathedral, great point. I love to watch them play. I thought that they were – I mean the the immediate thing is you look at them and say you, they're well coached. But I, I think what their coach, Scott Peterson, said was how coachable the, the players were. The players stay, stayed on point and stayed on pattern the entire game more than almost any team I've seen on the high school level. So I thought they were very impressive. Um, Davenport, uh, two years in league play, two national championships. Might want to talk about that at some point about – the dichotomy of uh, varsity versus non-varsity. Um, and this past weekend, just uh, quickly moving back to Bruce. Bruce, your team's in the Super League final. You're going to be flying out to Seattle to uh, go play Old Puget Sound Beach. Um, I watched your game this past weekend, and what really, really struck me was how much quick ball uh, Nyack gets. I and mean, forget about athleticism or all the other things we talk about. Boy, do you guys get quick ball. Yeah, we work our butts off at it. Uh, but all, all, off this topic of us for a second, I actually thought that Arkansas State BYU translated very well to to television. And and I was I was fortunate enough that Tim O'Brien gave me a, a a Dropbox link to the Arkansas State St. Mary's game, and then I saw that on TV and I saw the BYU life game. There was some pretty damn good college rugby going on. Um, and, and our super league game was great. And our game against uh, Puget sound is going to be fantastic. Unfortunately, you're going to be on the, on the East coast and I'm going right. to be on the West coast. Um, but I think that we ought to bring in our guest because I think that that's really what everybody wants to talk about. And we can get all this, this stuff later. I can explain all the, 
the nuances of quick ball. Get there. You know what? You could do it if you talk like Fred Shiro, who used to coach the Flyers when they were the Broad Street Bullies. Arrive in numbers and arrive angry. And you'll get the ball. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Sounds good to me. Well, we do have a terrific guest for us. And we're going to talk about something that is buzzing through uh, through the Internet uh, and through uh, all the communities, college rugby. And that's about college rugby regulations, more exciting than it sounds, perhaps. And we've got Chip Oscovich here on the show, and we're very happy to have him. And Chip, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having the opportunity. Just to intro Chip a little bit, Chip uh, is a former member of the Collegiate Eligibility Committee and, and is – one of the people who helped draft these new eligibility regulations, which are drawing a lot of fire. Um, the main one, I guess, is is uh, the the starting the clock um, when somebody graduates high school as opposed to when they first enroll in college, which was the old way. Um, what are, What is everybody missing on this, Chip? Because it seems um, like this is the most contentious thing. People talk about, um, you know, what if you go into the military directly after high school and um, you lose your, you know, your chance to play for a full four or five years um, for a college. If you go serve four years overseas for the military and come back, what is everybody missing on this? And just kind of defend that specific clause for us, because that seems to be the most contentious point. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And uh, just technically, still on the eligibility committee, I gave my uh, resignation notice back in January, effective on June 30th. So, so I still have another month or so left of that, but. Um, to the point about the, the four-year rule, or sorry, the, uh, the five-year rule beginning the day you graduate high school, a couple of things with that. First, um, it's not, it's, it's very consistent with a lot of the things the NCAA is doing now. They've instituted some new rules, uh, Division One, Two, II, and Three, uh, related to uh, basically the day that you graduate high school, you've got a one-year grace period before your eligibility clock starts for college. And that goes for just about every sport, I think, except for men's hockey and skiing. I think those are the two that it doesn't include. And uh, and at that point, your clock starts. Now, the difference there between the NCAA and, and with college rugby is that the NCAA says after one year, if you start to participate in that sport, then that's when your clock really does start. So if you're a, I don't know, a baseball player and you're, you're playing some sort of a baseball league, then even if you're not in college, your clock is, is running at that point. So it's so it's somewhat consistent with what the NCAA does from that standpoint. Um, the other thing I would say is that with the NCAA, the way they operate, you have five years to play four years of whatever sport that you that you uh, are participating in. So that's one of the things that we did as a committee. We looked at that four-year um, benchmark, if you will, and said, okay, our expectation is that college rugby players should have an opportunity to play four years. Um, not necessarily five, but um, because we are limited in, in terms of how much infrastructure we have, both at USA Rugby and with our college administrations, um, then we still have that fifth year we're kind of giving away for free. It would be kind of your redshirt year in, in, in other college sports. So we looked at that four-year benchmark and we said, okay, that's what the starting point is. So if we want somebody that, you know, if we look at the uh, BYU situation, for example, I know that's been a hot topic. Um, typically they go on a two-year church mission. So if a student enrolls for, let's say, two years of school, um, and then they go away for a two-year church mission and come back and play for two more years, which is what they would get, they're still playing their four years of college eligible, uh, college rugby, which is ultimately what we want them to be able to do. Explain that to me again real quick, because generally how it works is, you, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Alex, uh, you'll go to, you, you go to BYU for your freshman year, um, just like the Whoopi Brothers did last year, they played. Then they're gone for two more years. 
Um, but their clock has started once they enrolled at, you know, that first year at BYU. So they have six years to play five, right? Um, correct me if I'm wrong on that chip. And so they, three years have expired. Um, so they have two more on the back end. So they all played, I guess, two more years, right? I mean, I'm obviously confused because it's a confusing situation, but explain to me exactly how that works. Yeah, so so if you're uh, an incoming freshman at BYU and you play your first year, so that's your first year, um, and then you go away for your for your two-year church mission, that's your second, your third year, right? Okay. All right, and then if you come back, you play your fourth and your fifth year. So now you've played three out of five years at that point. Now you can still uh, get one year of eligibility back because you were away from school for one full academic year at least. So you can still get another year back. So your sixth year becomes your fourth year that you played college rugby. And in terms of military, um, because that's another huge issue, um, that you said that one-year grace period, and that, I was reading through the uh, the eligibility regulations just to spruce up, hopefully, before we discuss this. So maybe I wouldn't sound so confused. But so you are you granting that one-year grace period, saying um, you have a year, and then we can start your clock one year after, or it is the year following? No, the uh, the one that one year after high school is essentially your first year, but the 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 eligibility rules basically allow for you to get that one year back. So you have one you have one free year someplace in the course of a six year period for whatever the reason, whether it's military or anything else, and you can get that back as long as you have some sort of documentation to show that you either missed a year of school or you had some sort of a medical hardship or whatever the case may be. So you can get that one year back, whether it's on the front, the middle, or the back end. So let's say you you missed four years because you were went and did a four year tour real quick after you graduated. Then you come back that you, you enroll, so you would have two years to play. Is that essentially right, how that you've would got, work? You've got, your, you've got your one year, and then you get your you can uh, get your one year back. Uh, one of the previous four, you can get back on the back end. So you've got two years to play. That's correct. Okay, so Chip, um, my question to this really would be, why do it that way? What does that accomplish? Well, basically, it keeps things, uh, you know, keeping in mind that we're a club sport competition, and one of the things that we did when we were making these rules, or at least my was, was my understanding, is that we're trying to make it um, somewhat fair and attractive across the board uh, in terms of all the club sport teams playing playing rugby, whether it be Division One, Two, or Three, or whatever uh, division that teams are competing in. So one of the ways to do that is to kind of make sure that all of the players and all of the teams are, you know, uh, for the most part, are in the same age range or considered college age players. So, so it is looking. It, it, it sort of works as a de facto age limit, more or less. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you? You know, obviously, you've you've anticipated, and USA Rugby anticipated some, uh, you know, challenges to this. That's partly why we were sort of waiting for these regulations to come out. Is that we were um, that they were being vetted by lawyers, and and I, I don't know if we were talking about um, uh, you know the, the 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 LDS mission issue or if it was the military issue, but um, do you anticipate some kind of complaint? Yeah, let me on these two levels. Yeah, let me. Uh, I can kind of address that in uh, in a couple of ways. So. Um, so first off, one of the things the committee did, and I think a lot, we've seen a lot of the, uh, the readers on your site posting things about this as well, 
his our intention was to publish a draft version of these rules back in September for a review and feedback period, maybe like a 30-day period to basically give the general membership an opportunity to submit comments in some fashion. And that would give us an opportunity to see all of the the issues that we may not be thinking about or, you know, maybe there's a, a majority of, of, um, of teams or players have a particular stance on a, on a topic. For whatever reason, and it's unknown to me and I think it's unknown to all the committee members, that never happened. We completed our deliverable right around that September, October time frame, and for some reason it just never got sent out and it never got distributed to the membership for that review period. So from there, basically what happened is we continued to review waivers over the course of the fall semester and approve or deny them based on you know, the, the previous eligibility rules. And that took us to about the January time frame. At that point, we felt that it was too late to submit something for a review period, but that we had enough uh, information from the waivers we were seeing to be able to address a lot of the topics. So the idea there was to publish the rules and put them into effect, but also knowing if there was an issue that came up that we hadn't addressed, and this military one could easily be one, that we would still have an opportunity to make a change, um, whether it was for the uh, upcoming year or for a future year, we'd still be able to do that. And we also um, anticipated that by putting together a grandfather clause, which basically says anybody that's currently affected by these rule changes will still be using the previous rules uh, until they finish out their college eligibility. So then you're, you're alluding to the, uh, the issue with the lawyers. Between January and March, nearly two months, for some reason the, these regulations had to not only be approved by us, um, they had to be approved by the College Management Council, which we which we expected and we knew, um, but it also had to go on to something called the Rugby Committee and then on to the Board of Directors, and that took two months to complete. Again, I have no idea why it took that long to do that. And then once all that approvals, all those approvals were completed, it took nearly two and a half, three months for a set of lawyers to review something in terms of making sure that these rules weren't discriminatory against. Uh, I don't, my understanding is it was went to the LDS lawyers, but I'm not I'm not sure for certain on that. And that took nearly two and a half months to review a two and a half page document. Interesting. And you know, one of the things about USA Rugby that that I I do find frustrating is that we'll hear about some kind of change and. For example, you know, at, at Rugby Mag, we might we might report on it, and we'll say changes afoot on X. They're going to change eligibility requirements in club on this level, and somebody uh, calls me and chews me out about it, saying nothing's been passed yet. Why are you reporting on this? And the reason we report on it is because nobody gets a chance to give feedback. Regulations get changed. And then people say, well, I don't like it because of this, or there's a problem, or you haven't considered X. Uh, but they're informed, well, the changes have already been made. So the idea that you would put it out there as sort of a beta test and say, what do people think, is a wonderful idea. It's a terrible shame it didn't get uh, followed through simply uh, on the basis that USA Rugby should be doing that all the time. Agree completely. Me, Absolutely. Um, we're talking about, and we kind of ventured off into this, and there's no wrong problem with doing it, but um, we're talking about USA Rugby and kind of the way that the red tape process works with them and how abundant it is and how slow it is to get things out. You know, you guys aren't the first committee to deal with this. The competitions committee dealt with it, uh, you know, last year dealing with college sevens, and probably most committees in the history of USA Rugby have dealt with it. So, I, and I think that most people who have ever dealt with USA Rugby directly, um, you know, for something for their club or for their union, probably could feel um, some empathy 
um, for what went on with the eligibility committee. And I'm not saying that, that stuff's not important because that is important um, about the way that USA Rugby deals with um, things like this and how that obviously muddles up and screws up the process. But while you're on, and, I'm, and maybe I'm reiterating it too much, but this is the big hot button topic is uh, the, the starting the clock after you graduate high school versus starting when you enroll in college. You guys aren't stupid. You guys are, I, I don't, you, know, you, Marty Bradley, Rich Cortez, all the people that were on this eligibility committee and helped draft these rules, you guys, I'm sure, Consider the, 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 the BYU, the possible complaint from a, a BYU or about the Mormon missions. And I know you probably consider the thing with military. Um, you, you, somebody who graduates college and goes straight into the military and serves our country and possible uh, lashback from that. Um, so if I'm wrong in that, correct me, but I, I don't think I am. And, and you weighed those options, but you saw enough virtue in changing the clock um, to still do it. So what, in your mind, and you said a little bit of it, maybe elaborate on me or convince me of it, what in your mind and in the minds of everybody else in the committee um, was the prevailing reason that you thought that it was worth it enough to do it? Yeah, I know, again, I, I go back to, you know, I mean, it's going to answer in a roundabout sort of way, but, you know, again, um, you know, having an opportunity to send it out for a review period to be able to get that feedback from the membership to really see what the what the volume is and what the what the issues are and and looking at the military uh, waivers that we saw come across the board in this fall, I can even tell you that there they were very few and far between, and most of them were situations where um, you know wh where they were kind of cut and dry in terms of in terms of the waiver requests. And I think in most cases were denied anyways. Um, what else I can say on that is. Um, you know, again, we can always go back and review the rules. It was never meant to be that these rules can be carved into stone and be permanent throughout the, throughout the course of, you know, eternity. We're always going to be able to come back and review these things. And then again, putting in a grandfather clause where if there is a somebody that has been in the military in the past, that gives them an opportunity to keep playing while we're reviewing the rules. So, uh, again, I don't think we put in these rules in, in effect to limit anybody from playing rugby. We did it um, basically with the opportunity to continue the people that are eligible under the old rules to continue to play. Um, we did it because we thought it made rugby fair in, in all divisions across the board by keeping the age range fairly similar. And you also have to consider that this is a club sport for, you know, 99.9% .9 of the teams. And, you know, when you do have a, you know, if you did have a military uh, person come back after serving for four or five years and they end up being, you know, somewhere in the age of 26 to 28, there is a, a big disparity between, um, you know, that age range and the 18, 19, 20-year-old college kid that's playing as well. And, as, and I would also add to that that we're not saying that somebody that served the country can't play college, uh, can't play rugby. We're saying that they wouldn't be eligible for college rugby. So we want those players to move on to the senior club game to continue their development. And if it is somebody that has any type of, uh, you know, a, a rugby pathway, it's somebody that we want to see go on to higher levels at some point. Well, that's great. They need to get into the senior game quicker anyways. So if they are in that age range and they're playing college rugby, they're limiting their own development path in that respect as well. Um, for And you, you brought it up again about like the, um, the, the wanting to do that review period, put it out as a, as a possible draft and then get back some response. So to me that says – that the amount of response that you've read now um, and that you see now about the military issue um, and about potentially the LDS issue, um, maybe if you had known the amount of lashback you would have gotten now, would that have changed uh, 
uh, for you at least, you can't speak for everybody else on the committee, but that have changed for you how you feel about changing the clock? Um, as of right now, I don't think I have enough evidence to say that I would I would change my mind at this point because it's tough to tell when you're when you're reading posts on Rugby Mag whether it's you know the same group of people posting or or how it's what kind of reaction that you're getting. And I think you know we've even seen some uh, people that have been in the military academy, not military academy, sorry, service serving in the military even say that they don't think they should have been eligible or they should be eligible in the future either. So I think we've seen both sides of it. Um, I think we need to see more, a, a better way to quantify and qualify what that um, is before we make a decision to make a change again. Um, that's just my own personal opinion. And one other thing I'd like to add to that too is um, my understanding, and I don't know if this is the case, maybe it was even me being ignorant, was over the course of, of creating these rules, uh, we never understood that these would have any effect on Division One A on the men's side. And I think that's a really important uh, factor as well because uh, the way we look at it, just like the Super League on the, on the men's club side, is it's a completely different competition and that they could choose to use the regulations that we came up with or they could choose to, to tweak them and to do what's right for their competition. And the reason why I bring that up is because on all the other levels of college rugby, Division One, AA, two, three, and then on the women's side as well, um, you know, by and large, you know, that's where, that's the area where we're looking to keep players playing in the same age range because we have new players that have never played rugby before joining teams. And, and that's the case throughout all of college rugby with the exception of D1A that continuously puts, I would say, you know, at this point, I'd say oh, just about every team in that competition has at least 10, if not all 15 players that were recruited to come play rugby and played in high school or someplace overseas at some point as well. So their level of competition and their playing field is much different than the rest of college rugby. Can I jump I don't in? Wanna... Yeah, go, Bruce. Yes. Uh, first, that last point was very interesting. I, I don't think that that was made clear that this was meant to be underneath D1A. Uh, secondly, the six for four, you know, you get you get four for six years. That's relatively, that's reasonable. I don't think that's unreasonable. So every... You know, all the BYU kids and everything get the get the four years. Couple small questions. What about foreigners? When does their clock start? What about kids who go to a postgraduate year? You know, they graduate high school or they, they redshirt early. Now the new thing is to redshirt early so that your freshman year doesn't count and then you go to a high school and you go for four years and you come out and you get better grades or things like that. Called gray shirting. Uh, it's popular in lacrosse. I mean, I don't know what other sports it's popular in. And then they have the PG year. And I was wondering, how, how are those going to be handled? Not, not, not so much that it happens in the rugby world. I, you know, I do think that the military exemption um, probably is not as prevalent as people are making it seem. Um, you know, there may be 15 or 20 people uh, in the course of the country. But... And and my second question on top of that is those things seem relatively reasonable to me. I, I do think there are a couple gray areas. Why did everybody resign? I mean, the entire committee resigned essentially, and there had to be a reason for it. And we would like the uh, the real reason, not the politically correct reason. So whatever <laughs> that is, you know, if you gotta, you know, take the knife out, take it out. So so real quick. Uh, Two questions. Uh, what happens to foreigners about their clock? And then why did you all resign? Okay, so um, the, uh, I'll go to the postgraduate one as well. That's an easy one. Um, if you're a postgraduate, then you're still under the same rules as, as an undergraduate as well. If you're still within your clock, 
you're still eligible if you're outside. Sorry, I meant PG at a high school. Um, well, that's the same. I meant take a year a off. guy who, t- who graduates high school and does one of those PG years. Yeah, so it, it, it's the same thing. If you took a year off or you're you're not in a school that has a rugby team, that's that's one year you can get back later on, but you only get one year of it. Does that make sense? So, the, so your clock has already started. Yeah, exactly. Is, is your clock has already started, but you can apply for an extra year by saying, you, I, I wasn't I wasn't participating in college rugby during that Correct. year." All right, and then in terms of the uh, the foreigner issue, so that's a um, it's the same thing as, as high school students in America. Um, the the onus is on the foreign student to prove to basically show evidence of when they uh, graduated the equivalent of high school in their country. So. Um, I'm not. I'm, what's not clear to me is whether that's going to be a form, whether they just have to submit some sort of a document, a transcript, if you will, to show that, or how that's going to work. Um, I think that's something that the USA Rugby staff will kind of work out and, and streamline over time. But but essentially, the onus is on each of those students to just show when their high, equivalent high school graduation was, and that's when their clock will start as well. Did that answer that question? That's the problem. That's a that's a difficulty for you because different schools have different systems. Different countries have different systems about how how they 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 judge it. And uh, you know, I I know growing up in England that you you essentially you you spent your sixth form taking your A levels. That would be the equivalent of graduating high school. But then there were kids, a lot of kids, who stayed for an extra semester, an extra term. It, what was called 6S, which was to work on their entrance exams to Oxford and Cambridge. That, I would imagine, would count against their clock under this rule. To be honest, I'm not familiar with, with that. And but the one thing that we discussed as a committee is that um, each college is admitting these students based on some um, some idea of what their equivalent high school graduation was. So if the college is presumably we already have that information as part of admissions and enrollment, then that's that's more or less going to be the, the time that they're going to use when, they're, when their rugby clock would start as well. So we didn't think that was going to be information that would be too difficult. But, but like I said, you know, if, if something, some new information comes to light that, you know, we as a committee didn't consider, then, you know, that might be, you know, a possible change, uh, you know, in the future. But, yeah, certainly every country is very, very different in terms of how they do it. Um, but it sounds to me like it would be very difficult, Chip. I, 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 I don't think it would be not too difficult. I think even if we're talking about, you know, we're talking about a small percentage of players because most of these players are American. I think I think it's going to possibly make it more difficult rather than saying you started at college. We know when you start college, you show up on day one, you've started college. But by ending some kind of school system that's different here and there, I, I think you you actually have made it more difficult. But the NCAA does it the exact same way. And so if, if it's already been done... And the, N, the NCAA is a huge organization. Right, understood. But if, if they're already collecting information from the athletic departments at each school based on when their high school graduation is and, and transcript transcript information and all of that, then it's it's got to be something that's accessible to to a student that's uh, trying to show when they when their clock should start as well. Um, but but I, I agree I agree it's it's um, you know it's something that you know may need some further clarification um, you know something along those lines uh, for sure you know I, I wish I could give you a better answer on that but uh, but you know we'll have to see how it plays out I guess uh, for a little while before that maybe a rule can be tweaked. So um, the and, and question? to the second half right to the second half of Bruce's yeah, question. Yeah sure. Um, yes. So we had a seven committee a seven person committee. 
Um, we had Will Riddle from Army Women. Um, he stepped down uh, rather early on. Uh, I think he just kind of fell off the grid. And sometimes, uh, you know, we all do at times and, uh, and, and kind of just drifted away. That was really early on when the committee started last summer sometime. Um, we had uh, both Kurt Huckabee and uh, Craig Coates uh, resigned uh, sometime between the fall. I think uh, Kurt resigned in the fall. I'm not quite sure what the reason was. I think he just had uh, time you know, constraints. And then Craig uh, did it early in the spring. And I'm not sure if his was a frustration because of rugby, USA Rugby or if it was to to kind of focus on the uh, Division One A and, and the creation of his new conference that uh, Texas A&M and, and others are, are forming. Um, so I'm not quite sure what his reasoning was. Then we had, obviously, Rich Cortez had to step off the committee because he became the college director, so um, that one's pretty cut and dry. Uh, Marty Bradley, who I think was pretty public about his reasoning why he, he stepped down, um, clearly a frustration with USA Rugby um, with the uh, the lack of release of these regulations in a timely way, um, you know, is certainly a big part of it, and uh, and I think that's what ultimately led to his uh, resignation. And an interesting fact, though, is during uh, in his resignation email, which may or may not have been posted on Rugby Mag, I can't remember, um, it actually stated that he didn't. He recommended that these rules not go into effect for next year, just simply because. Um, at this point, teams only had about three months' notice to to adapt and and plan for them. So, um, and, and neither him nor I were aware that these rules were actually going to be released the following day uh, until after we both, uh, you know, kind of finalized our resignations. Um, my resignation was the most was the most recent, although I announced it in January that it would be happening in June. Um, uh, most of the reason why I did that was to just unwind myself from 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 some rugby activities. Um, but very much frustration with the way USA Rugby was uh, managing the process and, uh, you know, and, and dealing with, you know, the, the ongoing delays was a big part of it and was a big reason why I reaffirmed my decision to resign uh, last week um, when I sent out another email to Jim Snyder, Rich Cortez, um, you know, clearly frustration with the process. I have one question to add um, on another clause. Uh, in terms of when you graduate, it says basically if you're pursuing a, a postgraduate degree and you're full time and you're still within um, the the you know six to play five, that you have to still be attending the same institution you received your first undergraduate degree from. Um, so yeah, that, yep. What, why do that? Because the NCAA will actually allow you to play. Greg Paulus is a great example. He played college basketball at Duke, went and followed his postgrad uh, degree somewhere else. Uh, and was able to play football at Syracuse. So a couple of your examples have been to follow some of the NCAA guidelines and fall in line with that. Um, this seems to go against the grain of what maybe the NCAA would do. Why can't somebody play four years of Duke rugby and then transfer to Syracuse and play rugby for Syracuse? Yeah, that's uh, to be honest with you, I, I just think that that was a, a rule that was in place before that we just didn't look into too deeply on changing. Um, you know, we certainly could have done more research on that particular uh, topic and, and, you know, and, you know, seen some of, you know, the example that you just stated, um, if that was something that we wanted to change, we could have. Uh, we just didn't, we didn't look at that particular rule as, as something that, you know, really garnered any reason to change it. There wasn't, you know, an outpouring of, you know, people asking for it to be changed or anything like that. And it just seemed to, to make sense to keep it. Um, but yeah, there was really no, no ulterior motive or one, you know, one reason or another to, to keep it the same or change it. We just kept it the same because it was there the year before as well. Well, I'll tell you right now, I think you should have kept it the same and I wouldn't be changing that. That just allows for a real slippery slope of, uh, of nonsense to happen. I, 
I think that that's exactly what you're trying to prevent is, you know, say a guy's a, a good player at whatever, uh, whatever school it is, Davenport, Lindenwood could be life, could be anyone. And then they get picked up for a year or two of postgraduate eligibility to go somewhere else. I don't, I don't, I don't buy that one. I, I mean, you could do the same thing undergraduate. I mean, if you if you go to life for two years uh, for your undergraduate degree, you could transfer to Cal and the yeah. next competitive totally, cycle play for Cal. It's the same thing. Totally, except totally, for this cool. Time. totally cool. And I don't agree with the whole red shirt thing as far as football goes. But didn't Paulus play two different sports? He did, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's that I think is where I mean, if somebody played, you know, football for. If somebody played football for Duke and decided to go to play, you know, postgraduate rugby, even so, that that whole postgraduate thing, if you didn't go to that school, that that's gonna get real dodgy. I would keep away from that one. My own opinion. Why is that dodgy? I don't understand. I, I don't understand why that's dodgy. You're a college student. You're you're within your eligibility window. Why does it matter that you have to, you know, in this entire world where where uh, kids transfer colleges because of, of financial reasons or they, they, they go on three and twos, things like that. Um, in, in this world where kids take years off, a year off or they, they, they're very fluid with how they try to get their degree because of difficulties involved or difficulty getting into colleges, why is that suddenly the, the you know line what? of the I, You know what? I, to be honest with you, I don't have, a, I don't have skin in the game. Um, I do think that's a slippery slope. It's just my own opinion. And right, but but where where are we slipping to? I'm not, I'm not even, even going to get into it. My opinion doesn't matter. I have no skin in the game. Um, I, you know, my thing is that when did you graduate? I think that they have it right in terms of that. I think I think that they do have it right. And and to be honest with you, I haven't really heard anything that was unreasonable. The regulations aren't as bad as as I had say initially thought, and maybe because they weren't public and nobody knew what they were. You know, you're only getting hearsay. But it it doesn't seem that those regulations don't really seem that bad to me. And I I think that you can't be having so much administrative nonsense to go. It's got to be pretty black and white. The colleges have to make it pretty black and white too. Otherwise they're going to be sitting there fighting over all kinds of nonsense. Um, you know, let, let, let me jump in here. Cause I, uh, to, to back you up, Bruce and, and Chip, um, there's some things I wanted to sort of throw at you first, f- first of all, on this, that I, I think you've cleaned up a lot of these rules, even little things like using the word team, collegiate team, rather than saying club, which can be very confusing. And, and, and some of the things to make it clearer, you, you read, you read these rules if you agree with them or disagree with them, I, I, I think they're understandable, which I think is, I think is very good. Um, one of the things that and, – and correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is true. That actually opens up, makes it easier on the waiver front is the, the waiver based on uh, injury. If you get injured and you miss your year, um, you can get that year back. That's something that I, I was under the impression was very difficult to do beforehand is that correct yeah it's correct just also keep in mind that you'd have to miss the entire academic year with injury yeah so it would have to be you know something pretty serious just to cause you to miss that and obviously you need documentation yeah so so you get injured the first half of the first game of the season that's too bad that's just uh you know you've already played that's how i understand it i mean that 
that's that yeah that's that's what the 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 wording seems to be based on that um i also um one of the things that that i think uh chip you said and this is the sort of thing that disturbs me about when, when we discuss any rules here is that we're talking about the military issue and saying that it is extremely rare in my opinion if if a, a rule screws over one person it has to be looked at, not necessarily to change it, but you can't dismiss it because it only affects two or three or four people. It still affects those two or three or four people. So if we – that's what people are sort of calling out, that what happens if – and I, I, I spend a lot of time saying this sort of thing too. What happens if a guy goes into the military for four years, comes back, and does want to play? And I think you've addressed that, but I do, I, I do think the thing that goes out there also is that – even if it's just a small number, two or three people who run into a brick wall because of a rule, I think that's enough people. But let me put it back on, on you and say, you know, you have these, you have these military, you know, service military um, uh, folks that want to play college rugby. Now, now, again, forget D1A where you've got, you know, it's apples to apples and everybody that's playing the competition is doing it by choice and the players presumably better prepared, maybe more experienced, et cetera, et cetera. When you get down to a lower level, even Division One AA on the men's side, uh, you know if you have a series of these players that are that are essentially walking onto a college rugby team, uh, which is a club a club sport, and you have another team that you know is comprised of you know whatever. I mean, look at the Linenwood example is perfect. Now I don't know if they have any military students, but if they did, and they're playing other teams that they're just simply recruiting from what's in their student body, you're putting players that are. 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 that are new to rugby for the first time playing against grown men, and that really hampers their ability to learn and grow the game and put them into a, you know, into a dangerous situation as well. So, um, you know, while I certainly respect and understand the military side of things, there's also the other side of it as well, and and I don't know that there's a right answer to that. Uh, how old was Threaten Plamo when he played in the World Cup? How old was Tyler Paris? Canada well, oh, okay, yeah. Let me, you know, yeah, but those, those are. I mean, threatened Palamo. I mean, there's a definition of an outlier. Um, and imagine what threatened Palamo is 26 if uh, if he was in the military and came back at age 26 instead of age 18. That's what I would I'd argue is okay. Threatened Palamo at 18, sure he can compete against older older players, no problem. But imagine competing against threatened Palamo when he's 26 as an 18 or 19 year old college kid. You know, uh, that that that's a completely different story too. Yeah, but these guys that are going over on, you know, I, there could be a threatened Palamo who went and served four years, came back and played for, um, you know, Louisiana Lafayette. I don't, but I, if there is, I'd be surprised. So, so there's no guarantee because part of the argument is that they have, they pick up all this, you, that you have inexperienced rugby players playing against rugby players or older men. Who's to say these older men are experienced? No, but, uh, but one thing I could say is, you know, at 26, and and when you're 18 and when you're 26, if you're if you're coming into rugby at the same as a new player that's never played before, at 26, I'd rather have my 26-year-old body than my 18-year-old body. Oh, me too. And it just you know, Dylan Carrion, he played he played uh, Super League for uh, the Dallas Harlequins when he was in high school, when he still had eligibility to be playing for Plano East. Um, so and he's not he's not threatened Palma. This kid's like five seven. So I, I don't. But he's choosing I, I mean, to do that. But he's choosing to do that. Right. No, I get you. I'm just saying that I, I think that the age is, uh, age ain't nothing but a number to, uh, quote Ashanti. Right. I think that was Ashanti. Yeah. And it's, it's a debate that I'm sure won't end, uh, end on this phone call. That's for sure. There you go. 
Now, Pat, I know you had a, a question about D1A and the fact that these regulations don't actually aren't actually expected to police D1A. D1A out of the equation, not involved. Well, no, that's not what she, that's not what he said, right? Chip, let me clarify that. Chip, you said you were working under the you weren't sure how you guys were under the impression that it was going to be that way. It doesn't mean that's the way USA Rugby is going to enforce it. My impression, my understanding is that Division One A has their own committee. I think Tom Rooney may even be the chairman of that committee, and that committee essentially can do as they like. Now, so that's my understanding. So as of right now, these eligibility rules cover all divisions, but if that committee were to choose to do something else, my understanding is that they could. Whether I'm right or wrong, uh, I, I'm not sure, but that was my understanding throughout this entire process. Well, it's interesting because the, the the rules, the eligibility document as it stands right now says nothing about D1A being ruled by, by separate rules, so it would have to be changed again, I would imagine. I think it does it's do what the Super League does. Super League just makes its own rules. USA Rugby tends to piggyback the Super League rules because they're easy and they're easily uh, enforceable and they're relatively cut and dry. So that that's kind of how that works. And, you know, D1A may choose to piggyback these rules. They may choose to use their own rules. That remains to be seen. Yeah, D1A is a little more wedded to even, USA Rugby, though. I mean, when they have a paid official as their director, which is what they had last year. So... It'll be interesting to see how they do it, but I don't. As of reading these rules, to me, they say D1A is involved, is included in them. There's nothing that says yeah, that they play would, by their own set of rules. Yeah, and that's my understanding too. And until they say otherwise, I think that's that's the way it's got to be. But I mean, there's I don't know how many teams are left in the CPD or D1A these days, 18 teams or whatever. But that's the stakeholders that are involved in that competition. And I think you know, look at the NCAA. Every division has different rules. You look at the Division One uh, manual for the NCAA. And the eligibility section for players is like 80 pages. You look at Division Three, and it's 17 pages. So it's different based on the level. And and I would encourage that group of schools if they if they found a better solution to to what they want to do with eligibility, then I would encourage them to to pursue it and to to make adjustments as they see fit. Well, I th- I think that uh, it'll take some time, like a lot of these rules, it'll take some time for people to to understand them and understand exactly how things work. And as you said, Chip, uh, figuring out how to get the information from the universities and how y- uh, USA Rugby can efficiently get that information so they can make efficient and intelligent decisions. Um, based on you know to decide on certain waiver requests some of the stuff will be pretty straightforward but there will be complicated issues and of course whenever the complicated issues happen there's a lot of debate it's a news article things like that happen um, and i can tell you too, chip that Oscar, we would have liked yeah. to have the uh, more than just the summer as a committee to be able to work on that if we had gotten the rules you know published in september october and then finalized by december or january we would in theory had the whole spring and summer to do that and now here we are just releasing for the first time now. Yes, and as you said, only giving a few months for uh, some of these universities to adjust. And certainly uh, one would would think that uh, uh, some colleges have recruited players who you know, they thought would be eligible for four years or five years. And it turns out maybe they're only eligible for two. That's correct. 
be interesting. Uh, Chip Oscovich, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, and answering our questions uh, here on Rugged Matrix America. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Okay, guys, so great talk with Chip, and and, and, and he, he stood there and he took the questions, which, you know, I have a lot of respect for that, and that's that's great, and, and we don't know what's going to come down the pipe, who knows, but uh, we do have some things coming up this weekend that uh, are pretty exciting. We, we have, we're, we're crowning a champion in Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, and Super League uh, men's club. So that we want to uh, have a look at that. We also have the USA Sevens Collegiate Rugby Championship coming up, of course, in Philadelphia. Uh, USA7scrc.com. Go check that out. If you're within driving distance of Philadelphia, you really should go because it's a lot of fun. And if you, you're within driving distance of Glendale, Colorado, go see the uh, um, the club finals because that's going to be a lot of fun. And if you're within driving distance of Seattle, Washington, go see the Super League final because that will be great as well. Um, CRC first. We'll do that. Um, some some players going in and out. Um, I've got two teams that I really think are uh, ready to play in this in this competition. There are several that they're going to look good, uh, but the teams that I want people to look at first of all, Cal. Cal has been uh, training on sevens and getting prepared for sevens for uh, well over a month now. I think they're on top of their game, and they are very young, but they have some really good talent. Um, Anderson, their fullback, got to watch out for that guy. And the other thing is, the the other team is Arizona. Arizona, who last year only gave up one try in four games, but it was a game that they lost five nothing. Um, they have Peter Tiberio back. They have Brett Thompson back. They look really good. So I think that Arizona and Cal are two teams to watch. Uh, I think you guys might have a couple of others. Um, Pat, what are you looking at? Uh, well, I think life is the uh, got to be the odds-on favorite still. Um, right. I know that they're without Cal Dolan uh, or Cam Dolan, um, but they won the USA Sevens or USA Rugby uh, National Championship without Cam Dolan. Um, so they're still a very good team, got a lot of talent. Obviously, they kind of had a, a bit of a deep postseason run, um, so you wonder how that affects them. Um, whereas Cal has had forever to really prepare. Um, and the other team that, you know, maybe you didn't mention is, um, is Dartmouth. I, and I, they obviously had a deep playoff run because they went all the way to the final four, uh, but they're good. And, and they, while they do, they did lose a lot of players from last year. I think they returned some and Kevin Clark and Nate Brakely, um, guys that are very good players to them, Paul Jarvis. Um, and I, if I remember correctly, Derek Fish was, Injured for them. So Derek Fish That's didn't correct. play for them last year in the CRC. Um, and Madison Hughes was in high school, so he didn't play for him. Madison Hughes, I think, is better than any individual player they had last year. And I think Derek Fish will, should come in and, and replace somebody right away. So I, I think the Dartmouth, again, with their coaching um, and with the talent they have on that team, can be very dangerous. Um, I also look at as Delaware as a, a potential sleeper. Um, they're, they're right in that same pool with Dartmouth. I think them and Dartmouth will get out of it. Um, but yeah, I think those are my those are my four teams to win it. I agree with you on Arizona. Agree with you on Cal, and then I think Dartmouth and Life uh, 
are the next two uh, two, two guys to watch. And Life is, is definitely my pick to win it if I had to pick one. Bruce, who do you like? I think Kyle and Life will be in the final. Uh, you know, I spoke to a couple guys on Cal, and they said they're really working hard. And then Tui Osborne, I saw him this weekend, and he said to give a shout-out to him and the Life University squad that don't count them out. They are. They really are looking to uh, to make some hay. And, and you know, Tui's been taking this very seriously. Been working with Dan Payne. He's been working with the players. And you know, they they are excited for this opportunity. For that university, this is about as big as it gets. So that that's what I would look at as a final, and and, and it should be a fantastic game. I like it. Life, Dartmouth, Arizona, California, all look very good. Army's still going to be strong. Delaware's still going to be strong. It's going to be a great tournament. So moving on to the Super League final. Now, the the thing about this, uh, first of all, Opugent Sound ran the table on the West, just like Evan Haig said he, he thought that they would. And uh, in addition, they perhaps looked a little bit vulnerable in their second game against uh, Golden Gate a week ago, 19 to 12. They won that game, but they had held out a couple of players, resting them, and they really did uh, put away Golden Gate uh, in the semifinal. It was not a pretty game. I think in some ways it was kind of sloppy. And and watching that game juxtapose it to the Nyack game, I thought that the Nyack uh, life game semifinal was far more structured, um, was more aggressive, more, more physical. Um, and and the Puget Sound game was was looser, which played right into the hands of Puget Sound. They have some really dangerous players. I don't know if Philly Batito will be healthy for this uh, final. He was held out with a concussion last week. I don't know what his status is. I know that Old Puget Sound has a very good and very uh, professional uh, concussion screening and assessment pro- process. So if he he plays. Uh, he was cleared medically uh, legitimately, so uh, ho- hopefully he will be okay. But um, I thought Puget Sound was clearly better than Golden Gate. The question is, are they clearly better than Nyack? Gee, I don't know. Every time Nyack goes to the final, they seem to find a way to win. Um, Pat, before we get Bruce in on this, he's a coach of Nyack, so he's sort of biased in this one. But, but Pat, bev- uh, what do you see... And and you you you've seen Puget Sound on on some video. You did see Nyack in person. What do you see on these guys? I think it's the forwards versus backs. I think it's Nyack has a superior um, forward pack, and I think by quite a bit. And I think that you look at the outside backs for Old Puget Sound Beach. They're much much more uh, uh, talented than Nyack's. Uh, Nyack has a great one through nine. Um, and they're not they're solid elsewhere. Um, but they, they lack a lot of punch, whereas old Puget Sound has somebody who can score at every single position. And you add in the fact that Serevi played um, in the semifinal against Life, uh, or I mean a semifinal against uh, San Francisco Golden Gate. Now you have him. So I mean, I'm guessing he was playing number 10. So if you have... Uh, yeah, he, he, he came in sort of a fullback thing. He, he kicked a touch a couple of times. He didn't really do a, a whole lot. He did pass the ball out. Um, it was, I don't know. It was, it was kind of fun to see him out there. Um uh, I know I'm 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 in the Northwest. I have a hard time betting against Nyack. I really do, and I think because of what you said, 
the forward power and what I said at the beginning of this uh, podcast about uh, the quick ball, how ferocious Nyack was at the breakdown. So, Bruce, tell me about this. What you, you've you've seen both teams. You coach one of them. I'm not going to ask you to give a prediction because I know what you'll say. But tell me about this matchup. I'm surprised you're not picking Puget Sound. Um, you pick against us all the time in the final, so it'd be helpful if you did. You know, <laughs> you'd be wrong again, and I want Pat to pick us, and because he's usually right, and then I, we'd have a better chance of winning. Um, well, looking at the game, you see Puget Sound has a they have a bit of size, they have a quality line out, they have a you know they have a, they have a pretty solid scrum. They they can put the thing is they can play within their forwards, they can play a pick and go game. And then they can and they can use their scrum half and, and you gotta kinda respect that area and then they can move it and skin you out wide. So they are kind of a complete team. They they will tend to look for offloads and take opportunities. I think the the biggest thing is if you can maintain your discipline and and, and avoid penalties, quick tap penalties are a place where they can kill you. Um, you know, so so that's something that you really need to be be cognizant of your discipline. Um, you know, I I think that turnover ball or knock-ons are places they can kill you. So, you know, if you knock the ball on, you got to make sure you get down on it and make them beat you from a scrum as opposed to letting them get that extra free play from, you know, so like if you knock the ball on and, and if you don't, you know, go and kill it and have the ref whistle the, whistle the play dead – and you give the other team a chance to play it, they get a free play plus the scrum. So you gotta take you gotta take all those free plays away. And then you really, you know, you, you gotta if you're gonna kick it to them, you gotta kick it over their head and make them bounce make it bounce and, and you gotta uh and you gotta really put a fantastic chase on it. You know, we've been working on all that kind of stuff over the you know, today we had practice in uh in the morning, it's Memorial Day as we're going. We practiced in the morning, although the heat was relatively searing. And and I think that it, it's going to come down to who's what are the injury situations on both teams. As you said, I think that we had a a bit more of a physical game against Life. I mean, they were still smashing us 80 minutes into the game, and fair credit to them. And 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 they were they were a fantastic team. I, I thought we. We played well, but we also got lucky. We had to scramble on defense a couple times, so it, it is it is a very interesting matchup in terms of they have a lot of power in the centers, and they have and they have some speed out wide, and they have Duratalo, who's a hard worker at number seven, and they have a uh, they have a very capable and talented number eight. And they, you know, they have a good. It's going to be difficult for us to go out there and win this game. You know, there is, there's no doubt about it. They they play solid defense. They 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 haven't given up the. I mean, they. I don't know when the last time that Golden Gate didn't score a try in a game. Yeah, that's true. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be very difficult, for us to penetrate them. If if Golden Gate couldn't penetrate them, and they have such tremendous size and power, we don't have that. So. You know, unless we get or opportunities and unless they they kind of make mistakes that give us give us the game it's going to be difficult for us to win that said you know we can win but 
the, the problem with a team like ours is we beat you seven, eight yards at a time. And in order to go seven, eight yards at a time from halfway, it takes seven or eight phases to score a try. And they can go 60 yards at a time, and it takes one stupid play for them to score a try. So if they can play disciplined defense and get their breaks, we're in deep trouble. And and we can pound the ball and maintain possession, and then we can be in with a puncher's chance at the end. I think there's a bit of coach speak here because uh, I you have much more in the puncher's chance, and and Pat, you you called it on the on the front row, uh, not on the front row, the, the tight five. Um, Beach played last last week. They had Kevin Graham, uh, uh, Dan Trierweiler, Josh Osborne, Albert Jenkins, and Aaron Fry. That second row of, of Fry and Jenkins uh, really they've been punching above their weight uh, all season. I think they have a lot on their plate because they're going to be facing probably Nick Descala, Connor Coyne, Pat Fife in the front row, James Denise and Brian Doyle in the second row. And, and I just think that that group is just a little bit more impressive. They're bigger, they're stronger. That second row, Denise and Doyle against Fry and Jenkins, nothing to take, not to take anything away from Aaron Fry and Albert Jenkins who played really well. I just think that's going to be the big battle. And, and if it is the big battle, Nyack probably wins that. And if you go along to the, the back row, Stanfill is in that back row. Um, Stanfill against Duratalo, if they both play, um, that is, uh, that, that's a, a heck of a matchup. So um, I, I think you look at that and, and you really lean the weight toward Nyack, even if they're flying all the way across the country to play. Yeah, I, come, I mean, I think if you play this game 10 times – and the planes in Nebraska that you might, it might go five and five. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think that there is a big advantage, Bruce. I'm not sure when you guys are actually leaving for Seattle, but if it's Friday night, um, I think that that's a disadvantage to you. But at the end of the day, I can't bet against Petrie and, and Stanfill and I've got to pick the AC, but I, it's certainly not a confident pick. I think that this is a very, very close game that I think both of these teams are really good. You play it, like I said, 10 times in a neutral site could go either way. So, but I, but I will pick the AC. Let me add one more thing to, to give you doubt on that pick. Uh, Beach played a, a Golden Gate team that had Patrick Latu, Neil Barrett, Paulo Fukafuka in the front row, which is enormous and very powerful front row. And John Thomas and Nick Civetta certainly had a, uh, um, a height advantage for the lineout, and they beat them. 39-6. So they seem to be able to handle um, difficulties in the tight five anyway. So, Well, it, I think that the biggest advantage for the AC is Lou Stanfield and Neil McMillan. I think that those two guys are fierce ball winners, they're fierce ball runners, and they're really great tacklers. So I'm not necessarily pointing out the, five, the tight five as much as I'm really like the flankers for the AC and what they can do. I think that I think the way when you look at say the ACR teams, you know you got you got McMillan plays seven, and Denise who is a seven and was a seven on two national championship teams, is playing in the second row because Louie needed to play six for the Eagles. So, so you got a seven who hits the first breakdown, then coming out of the second row you got a seven who hits the second breakdown. And then essentially Connor Coyne is like the seven. So coming out of the front row, you got a seven hitting the third breakdown. 
So every time you turn around, you're dealing with a seven. And you're dealing with a good one. And that's how come we get quick ball all the time. Because every single breakdown, no matter what's happening, no matter where it is, has one of those three guys in it. And they're going to win quick ball. And that's the reason we get quick ball a lot. And Paula Fuka Fuka is probably not winning a whole lot of quick ball. No. Paula Fuka Fuka also creates go forward dynamic for them. And <laughs> Rather significantly, it's yeah. A, it's a, it's a, you know, when you, we have to play to our players, our front row are midgets. You know, they, they're pretty technically good, but they're not big. And, and, and the, the Puget Sound guys are pretty big. So we'll see how, we'll see how we do. We'll see how we do. All right. Well, on to the Division One championships. We have four teams left. We've got Belmont Shore against Metropolis from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Palmer against Glendale. Uh, Palmer may be the the next big player in the college debate. Should be interesting to see what they do in the next couple of years. But uh, Belmont Shore against Metropolis. Talk to Metropolis. They're very, very excited, feeling really good about this. But it's going to be hard to. To bet against Belmont Shore, they've got that experience. They've been there before. Palmer against Glendale, I guess uh, Glendale's been there before. They, they're they probably going to be without James Patterson, um, but they will be with everybody else. And uh, but, but Palmer really has played exceptionally well, especially defensively. Uh, Pat, what do you see on this? I think Belmont Metropolis is interesting because – it's kind of like the Belmont Youngbloods matchup that you saw in the semifinals of uh, Club Sevens, um, because a lot of those Youngbloods guys play for Metropolis. Belmont was the odds-on favorite, but Youngbloods came on and you know gave them everything that they could, and and dang near beat them. Um, and I think Metropolis is really good. Both of the, the the common opponent for these guys is the Kansas City Blues down in Southern California. The Blues travel down there and lose by two to Belmont Shore. Uh, when the Blues and Metropolis met in a neutral ground in Iowa earlier this spring, Metropolis won. Um, I can't. I'm not going to throw a number out there, but it was by more than two. So I, I don't think that this game is, um, you know, a huge underdog versus a huge favorite. And I think that the Midwest is probably the best league in D1 this year, especially the Midwest West when it had Metropolis, Palmer, and the Chicago Lions. Um, so. I think the Metropolis is extremely battle-hardened. This is a young Belmont team, uh, though I would never be surprised to see Henry Bloomfield run on the field. Um, that guy always seems to make his way onto a Belmont championship roster like he did a couple of years ago. Um, so I, this is another really, really tough pick, but I'm going to pick Metropolis. I really think that they, they've got a lot of um, young, strong talent and – and that they're a really, really battle-tested team, more so than Belmont. Um, so I'm, I'm actually going to pick Metropolis to win that one. And Palmer versus Glendale, um, Palmer is fantastic, um, and and I'm impressed with them every time I see him, which inevitably is always in the Final Four. Um, but I think Glendale is peaking at the right time, that Glendale uh, is the better team in this one, and they've got too many stars all over the place. Granted, Atom Alifa, I believe, is going to be injured and out for this one. Um, and the same goes, obviously you said that Matt Patterson probably won't be there, but I think they've got enough depth and enough talent, um, to beat him. So I would pick Glendale in the semi and Glendale to win it all. But I think these are two, they're both the semis are going to be close games. I think that, uh, Metropolis has a, a a young fly half from South Africa who's part of the Spearhead Academy and Joubert. 
Yeah, he's a cannon for a foot. Um, it is at altitude. Um, the ball flies a lot further. So Belmont's not going to be able to commit infractions without getting penalized with points. And and Metropolis is going to be able to kick the ball a long way downfield. And if Belmont doesn't have their uh, counterattack strategy sorted, that could be a big problem. I am going to go with the underdog here. And, and as Pat said, I understand it's not as much of an underdog. But I'll take the Spearhead Academy boys, and I'll go with Metropolis. In the other game, I think it's difficult for Glendale to lose Atom Malifa and James Patterson. It's hard to get a back line in the rhythm again. Uh, but I will say home field advantage is massive. They still have Nick Johnson. They still have Slaby. So they have a bit of experience in their pack. And and I think Bachelet is playing nine. So there's a, there's a bit of experience there. So it would be – yeah, I think that Glendale is going to win that game um, over Palmer. And I, and I think that a lot of it has to do with home field advantage and just knowing, knowing your stadium and knowing how to do things and just having – you know, it's just, just generally being able to – you have your act together there. Then they play a lot. They play on TV. They just it not not doesn't intimidate them, and it'll be a new phenomenon for most of the guys. And I think that'll that'll be what happens come finals day two. Those guys will be used to it. They'll be used to the fanfare. They'll be used to the national anthem. They'll be used just little things. And I know that it's little things, but little things add up in big games. And when games are close, it's little little nonsense things that make a difference. So. So that's so that's Louis Joubert, the the kicker for Metropolis, and he does have uh, an excellent foot, and uh, you know the, the Metropolis does look great. I'll, I'll go with Belmont Shore, and I'll go with Belmont Shore because I think they do have the the experience. I think they'll they'll be able to get through. Don't forget that you know they've got Peter Dahl, um, uh, Zach Vanoglio, they've got Ed Pitts and Peter Co. Um, they've got uh, Pate Uigaleli and Fratangelo. These are these are experienced players. People Ed McKenna uh, out out in flanker. Um, uh, but you know I, I'm also going to go with Glendale, and and part of the reason is I actually really rated the Austin Blacks, and the Austin Blacks um, beat Onback only by two points. But the Austin Blacks made it into the quarterfinals, and Glendale absolutely thrashed them. Uh, 59 to 10 and Austin Black's not a bad team at all. Um, not only, yeah, they, they, they've got experience too. They've got, you know, they got Spencer Scott and flanker, uh, uh, Daryl Furlong, probably going to play scrum half along with Bachelet. Um, uh, Tyler Siegel gets some, some points. They've got several people who can kick goals for them. So, you know, I, I, I don't see any problem with that. They're, they're backups. People like Simon Dogby, uh, uh, Mike Taffel, uh, really, really, experienced guys, uh, scrappy guys. So I, I, I'd go along with that, Bruce, that, that they've been there before they're playing at home, but also there, there are a bunch of guys, including some of those, uh, leftover players from Aspen who've been there before and, and know how to scrape out something, know how to scrape, scrape out a win. So, so, um, I'll go with Belmont Shore, uh, on the experience. Um, although I do like Metropolis and what they've been doing. And I'll go with Glendale. And I do think, in the end, Glendale's going to win the whole thing. I Just a tidbit on the injuries. If you you lose uh, Asa Malifa, you lose James Patterson. Well, who was playing fullback for Glendale when they won last year? It was Dewan Reed, and he's going to be on the right. field. Um, Daryl Furlong was playing center. 
um, last year when they won it all. So if they wanted to, to make up for Atamalifa out of the centers, they could push Furlong out to the centers, have um, Bachelet at nine, and then you pretty much have the exact same back line you had last year that won it all, except for this time you swap out Nessie and fly out for Atamalifa. So it's still and you know good. I've been I've been doing yeah. I've been reporting on this game for a long time and 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 I I do a, a lot of times of dead stuff like saying oh so and so so and so is not on this team we don't know and it's like and then you go watch the game and somebody like Justin Paga shows up and say who the heck was that guy we don't know there are unknowns on this and are the unknowns ready um, you know the unknowns may be terrific maybe maybe more than what you expect so. Um, the game should be good. Uh, we're going into Division Two, and um, Pat, refresh my memory on uh, who's on the Final Four in Division Two. Who's what the matchups are? Yes, yeah, Rocky Gorge from uh, the Mid Atlantic versus Santa Rosa, and uh, the San Diego Old Aztecs versus Wisconsin. Okay, I've got I got something to say on the, these. First of all, Santa Rosa really really likes their chances. Santa Rosa is giving me grief because we've ranked them only number three. Uh, they think uh, Rocky Gorge comes out of the south in the mid-Atlantic, which is not traditionally the place where the top teams come out of. Um, which, I don't know what that means. I, you know, I, I don't know if that's a surprise or not. But Santa Rosa is feeling their oats right now. So um, may, may, maybe I'll give a nod to them. Uh, they beat Omaha 18-5 in, in the quarterfinals. And then um, San Diego Old Aztecs, we've got them ranked number one. Uh, they did beat in a close game Snake River, but I think Snake River is an outstanding team. Um, the old Aztecs beat the St. Louis Bombers 33-19 in the opening round. Um, and I personally think old Aztecs are probably going to go the whole way, even though even though Wisconsin's great. And even though Wisconsin destroyed Wilmington in the quarterfinals, I think it's going to be old Aztecs. I, I'm, I think the old Aztecs are going to beat Wisconsin. Um, I don't have a great reason for you as to why. Um, but I think that they are. Uh, I've, ne- I've never seen Wisconsin play, but I have seen the old Aztecs play. And I think that there is a lot of talent on that team. And I think that, that club as a whole is swelling. Um, and it's just on a pretty big upward swing. They're going to go D1 next year. I, I think that they are going to beat Wisconsin. Um, and then I- I've got, I'm going to pick Santa Rosa as well to beat uh, Rocky Gorge. Um, saw them play last year in Chula Vista. Um, and I really, really respect the Omaha Goats and how good they are. Um, and-, and for them to beat, uh, Omaha goes 18 to five. Um, granted, not a huge lopsided victory, but whoever was going to beat Omaha, knock them out, would have uh, probably gotten my pick, and they did it, so they do. Generally, the team that wins in Division Two is the one with speed, and there are a lot of teams that that go far in Division Two that do it on forward power and conservative play. But it's the the ones that that are left at the end, the ones with speed, win, and I think that's going to be uh, Aztecs and Rosa. Yeah, I, I told Aztecs based based on the results you just said. You know, that's what I say. That's fine. That's fine. You I know think, what? I think, I think that you go with the team with the who can kick the ball downfield and make the make the other team feel like the goalposts are pencils on the other end of the field. Yeah, I I think territory wins in Division Two. Territory and mistakes. Speed. I agree with you. Speed can turn a game on its head. And and if it and if it's a and if it's an arm wrestle, you want to have the guy who can who can make the break. Um, but it is always nice to have a nine and a ten who can control the game and manage it and paint corners and it's it's hard for teams to go ninety yards to beat you, especially at that level. They they can't play enough phases together. So I, it's good to have good kickers. Yep. 
and it's, I think that's a big part of it, especially at altitude. Uh, eight of the sixteen playoff games that were played so far in Division Two were def- decided by less than a try. So I would imagine these games be pretty close as well, pretty dramatic. Worth a look on June second in Glendale, Colorado, if you're near there. No, Division Two is awesome. Yeah, a lot of fun. Division Two, great. Division Two is great rugby to watch. It's it's just really good rugby with, you know, they. The second row is a step, you know, a little bit shorter, and you know the the back row is more experienced. It, Division two is great as far as like the entertainment value of the game. The Division two games in these in these national final fours are generally the better games because the teams are there. They want to win, but they want to play rugby too. Right. And 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 whereas the Division one teams, the Super League teams, and things like that, they want to win. And if they could do it three nothing, they'll take it. Yeah. Hey, and, it, and unlike the Super League final, the Division Two final will be uh, able to be seen on television, so you'll get to see that entertainment value. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and the Division Three final too, uh, and and Division Three. That's that's definitely your your weekend warrior types, but at the same time, these are guys who are, are working very hard to uh, to get there. You know what though? Sometimes Division Three. Isn't necessarily just weekend warrior types. I mean, it could be guys who, you know, they played with a club for a while. They got together and decided, hey, we're gonna we're gonna have a last run and we're gonna go at it and 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 make our play. But a lot of times, it's guys who who take who are young in a club and they take the game seriously, and they've come to a club that's in Division Three and they want to make it better, and. And they are pretty good, and and they use this to catapult themselves into Division Two or Division One. And you know, I mean, Boston Rugby Club had a lot of guys. Boston Irish had a lot of guys who who came through the Division Three Championship into Division One Championships, and this and then the same thing was could be said for Boston. And I, I think that there are not not that I agree with playing Division One and Division Three together because I don't. But the fact of the matter is. Division three rugby at times is not what everybody thinks it is. Like at this level, I think it's pretty good. I, I yes, there are definite holes in the in in the teams and there are definite weaknesses, but it it's not it's not the division three rugby that you see week in and week out at home. So the division three matchups are are New Orleans versus Tucson and South Bay versus Philly White Marsh. Um, don't know a whole lot about a lot of these teams, but I will say I'm going to pick New Orleans because. I'm going to stick with the trend, and uh, last year, Metropolis won. They fielded a D1 and a D3 side. The year before, uh, back won, and that was the year they backed out of the Super League. So they had a, a Super League side and Division Three side. Division Three won the National Championship. So I'm going to say that the trend continues, and I'm going to pick uh, Nola, who has a, a Division One side, uh, to win it all. Well, yeah, you've got these guys who've been training up against uh... – uh, the the Division One team and they're really really motivated to uh, do well considering the D- Division One team didn't go deep in the playoffs actually didn't make it to the the round of sixteen um, Tucson however uh, the way the Arizona League works is that uh, you do have a D two versus D three crossover so they have had some tough games um, Tucson's a good team uh, Philly White Marsh remember they used to be in the Super League and now this is their first team this is their number one team is playing in Division 3, uh, playing against South Bay. South Bay played Modesto in the first round and won 92-5. They are a big, scary team um, that if 
things go their way, they're going to go run downhill all over you. So I'm going to go with South Bay on that one. And and just to be contrary, I think I'll go to South Bay all the way. Um, I, I guess I'll go East Coast and go with South <laughs> go, go East Coast. And I mean, I, I, some of my friends are Philly White Marsh guys, so I'll, I'll take Philly. Um, I would have, I would have bet on New Orleans if I was a betting man, but I'm not, and I will. But I'll, 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 I'll pick Philly. Hey, Philly's got cool jerseys. They got the Liberty Bell in the back embedded in the jersey. That's a good reason to pick them right there. So yeah, go Philly White Marsh too. That's nice. Now the the last thing to say about this thing, I. We talk about teams moving up a division, stuff like that. Winning Division Three, I don't think means that you should be moving up to Division Two because I think Division Three is a whole new animal. Um, I remember one year Reno. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I, no, I, I'm not. I'm not I, saying you're saying that. I mean, a lot of people. Just I was call just that. saying that people think of it in terms of something that Correct. they can. Do. No, no, I, I agree. And I, I remember one year Reno won national championship at Division Three, and they moved all the way up to to one. I don't know what Reno is doing now, but you know we don't see very much of them. It, Clubs can sometimes get caught up in that and and ask too much of themselves. Um, but congratulations to all of these teams to, uh, uh, for getting there. And congratulations to NIAC and Old Puget Sound for getting where they are and for getting players onto the national team or challenging for the national team. And congratulations to the 16 teams that are going to go to the CRC and to the 24 high school teams that are going to be uh, per, uh, playing in the high school rugby challenge at the CRC in Philadelphia because they've all got to be doing something that we all want to do, which pride, you know, the, Hey, you know, the, yeah, pray you are, you're pride all the way. I don't, I don't know. Uh, pride, pride, pride. <laughs> undefeated pride wins it all. Um, and, uh, Fallbrook on the girl's side, by the way. And, and you know what? Uh, maybe, maybe New York, but probably Fallbrook. The thing is they get to do something we all want to do every weekend, which is play some rugby. Uh, Thanks very much to Chip Oscovich for being our guest earlier. Uh, thanks to Pat and Bruce, because guys, you just gave us all so many different predictions that we can't be wrong everywhere. At least we'll be right somewhere, and we'll remember to remind people about that. And thanks to you guys for listening to Rugged Matrix America.